This program is brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu. My name is Valerie Epps and I'm a professor at Suffolk University Law School. I teach international law and I teach the laws of war. The issue has arisen because a young woman and her two-year-old son were killed in Brockton, Massachusetts uh, last year. And shortly after their killing, the prime suspect left the country and went to Ecuador. And since that time, the Plymouth District Attorney has been trying to arrange the extradition of the suspect, Luis Guaman, uh, from Ecuador back to the United States. But uh, Ecuador has resisted the extradition largely on the grounds that under the most recent constitution in Ecuador, the 2008 constitution, Article 79 of that constitution says, in no case shall extradition of an Ecuadorian be granted. And consequently, they have refused to extradite him to the United States. In the meantime, of course, they have brought down their own indictment. He's been indicted in Massachusetts. And he is standing trial, and actually just a few minutes ago, it seems as if he has been convicted of the murder of the young woman and her son. And consequently, the issue arises as to whether or not it would have been better to extradite him here or not. The fact of the matter is that a lot of Latin American countries have prohibitions upon extraditing their own nationals to any country, not just the United States. A number of countries have had problems with extraditing fugitives of whatever nationality from their country to the United States on the basis of the death penalty. And there are a lot of states now who refuse to extradite a fugitive from justice of whatever nationality found within that jurisdiction to the United States if the person could be subjected to the death penalty. Now, in this case, the death penalty wasn't in question because Massachusetts doesn't have the death penalty. But that has been a major objection for a number of countries. And actually, over recent years, extradition treaties have been revised between a good number of countries, essentially saying that the requested country has no obligation to extradite if, in fact, the individual could undergo capital punishment. And the reason for that is that, of course, a lot of states have themselves abolished the death penalty, but also they are parties to multinational conventions that prohibit cruel and unusual treatment that they may interpret as death penalty and so on. And so they often feel that even if they themselves have not actually abolished the death penalty, it may be that they have some treaty obligations that essentially insist that they don't render somebody up to uh, a situation where the conditions of incarceration or the type of death penalty might violate their international conventions. The United States has become quite familiar with 
refusals to extradite from a number of Latin American countries, including Mexico. And the usual procedure has been for the district attorney in the United States to cooperate with their counterparts in the foreign country and to supply evidence and witnesses and whatever else they need in order to get a conviction. In this particular case, the uh, district attorney in uh, Plymouth County has adamantly refused to cooperate with the Ecuadorian officials, although some people have gone down and some evidence has been sent down, but by no means a full amount of evidence. This raises a number of problems, and it raises due process problems for the defendant himself in Ecuador if his attorneys can't have full access to both inculpatory evidence and exculpatory evidence. That may present some due process problems for the individual. The trial that has taken place in Ecuador seems to be quite a short trial. Of course, civil law countries don't have jury systems, so he hasn't had what we would regard as the benefit of a judgment of his peers, the jury, taking a look at the evidence. However, we have to recognize that I don't know whether most of the world runs on a non-jury system, but certainly a it's only the common law system, which you basically find in the United States and the UK, and many of the old UK colonies that are now independent, you find the jury system, but in the rest of the world you don't find a jury system. So the fact that he's been tried by judges isn't unusual, but uh, of course we often do prefer that there be a, a jury. now. To us, it would seem strange that an individual could be tried for a crime that wasn't committed in Ecuador. Normally, when US citizens, for example, go to a foreign country and murder someone, they will certainly have violated the law of where they are, but they will not have violated US law. Now. It's different in civil law countries. Civil law countries assert jurisdiction over such crimes on the basis of the perpetrator's nationality. The mere fact that he is an Ecuadorian and there is probable cause to believe that he committed a crime, in this case murder, double murder, somewhere in the world, under the Ecuadorian system gives Ecuador the right to try him in Ecuador, whereas common law countries don't normally do that. We don't assert what is called extraterritorial jurisdiction, except in a few crimes. We do have a few crimes where we assert extraterritorial jurisdiction. For example, we have a statute that prohibits US citizens from engaging in underage sex anywhere in the world. This was essentially passed to try and put a dent in the sex tourism and the exploitation of very young, usually girls, sometimes boys, throughout the world. So that now, under our statutes, if a US citizen goes to, let's say, Thailand and engages in sex with underage uh, boys or girls, 
they have not only violated the law of Thailand, they've violated US law too. That's an unusual circumstance. Usually the criminal law system is based on the crime having been carried out in the territory of the United States. And of course we think of that as a good rule because generally speaking where the crime was committed is where the evidence is. It's where the witnesses may be, it's where the physical evidence may be, it's where the victims are and so on and so for all those reasons for the most part common law countries such as the United States insist on having the trial take place where the crime occurred. Obviously when you're trying somebody a long distance from where the crime occurred you have problems with evidence and getting witnesses and getting the forensic evidence. One has to look carefully at extradition treaties. It is true that in the extradition treaty that we have with Ecuador, it was an old treaty, it was made in 1872, it was amended in 1939, there is no exception in that extradition treaty with respect to not extraditing your own nationals or not extraditing them for capital crimes, for example. There's no such exceptions. Clearly, that extradition treaty needs to be amended. The problem is that after that time, Ecuador has had a number of different constitutions, but the one now that has the prohibition on it also has a provision in it that says that the constitution essentially is the supreme law of the land. And so even if you have a treaty obligation, which I think one could argue quite strongly, Ecuador does have a treaty obligation to extradite. The problem is that its internal law now states that the constitution is supreme over such obligations. And that also is a concept that we understand too. I mean, I think that if somebody said, oh, look, we've got this treaty obligation, but now our constitution seems to say we can't do that, I am pretty confident that U.S. courts would say the U.S. constitution trumps the treaty obligation. I think for my students, I would say you, you need always to look at what the treaty obligation is, but you also need to be aware of what the internal law in a particular country may be. Presumably, the legal advisor's office to the Department of State knew that Ecuador had a new constitution that had this prohibition in and it was going to make some problems with respect to extradition. I don't know whether they have tried to renegotiate the extradition agreement with Ecuador or not. They may have done and may have had no success. And in any event, now, I don't think they are going to have any success because there it is in the Constitution and I don't think the authorities in Ecuador are going to... I don't think they can override it. And consequently, I must say that probably the best approach then when you've got this situation is for United States local attorneys, US attorneys, to cooperate as best they can with a country that has a legal basis to refuse extradition.
This preceding program was brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu.